Hello and welcome to Fintech Insider Insights. My name is David Breer. In today's episode, we're going to be putting our shin pads on and lacing up our boots as we delve into how the worlds of football and fintech have collided in recent years. Both industries have seen a pretty monumental rise in the last decade, so it is absolutely no surprise to see financial technology and football becoming more and more intertwined as both of those industries pursue further global expansion. So where is this relationship in 2021? What are some of the success stories that we're seeing and what is the potential going forwards as well? Um, There are so many different directions we could explore on this one. And I'll be honest, being a Norwich fan, I'm not sure I want to talk about football for an hour if being really true to everybody listening to this. But today, what we'll be focusing on is sponsorship, cryptocurrency, and what is next for the industry. Before we start with that, we want to tell you about some of the other things we're kicking up here at 11FS and hear a quick word from our sponsors. Temenos is the world's leader in banking software, helping over 3,000 banks serve over 1.2 billion people. Our purpose is to make banking better. Together with our community, we make banks more successful, individuals better banked, and society better served. With our software, banks can create more human, differentiated digital experiences, hyper-efficient business models to benefit the bank and their customers, and simplify and transform their back office. Our clients are the highest performing banks with cost-income ratios which are twice better than the industry average. Learn more at temenos.com. How does financial services get better? How does it get faster? And how does it get stronger? Come and help us answer those questions live in London on December 1st at the Fintech Insider After Dark, Better, Faster, Stronger. It's the latest live recording of our Fintech Insider podcast. That's right, we're back in front of a live studio audience. Stick around after the show for drinks, exclusive swag, and a chance to mingle with your favorite Fintech Insider hosts, as well as other Fintech fans. Find out more and get your free ticket now at bit.ly forward slash after dark, better, faster, stronger. That's bit.ly forward slash after dark, better, faster, stronger. Okay, folks, let's get started then. As always, I'm not alone, but I'm joined by a panel of experts who'll delve into the subject with me, making their FinTech Insider debut. We have Vivian Chu, who is the CMO over at Sokin. Uh, Viv, welcome to the show. How are you doing? I'm great. Thank you for having me, David. Excited to see you again and, and talk, you know, have a chat with all these great panelists, but also talk about football and FinTech. It's funny, we were, we were saying this briefly beforehand, like uh, pre-COVID hamburgers in New York, like the world is feeling a bit different, isn't it? But now that uh, Yeah, and we were sitting really close together in that booth, <laughs> which you wouldn't even dream about doing now. So. Very, very true. All right. Uh, I mean, as much as we can talk about hamburgers in New York as, uh, for the rest of the hour and uh, recommendations for that, um, tell us a little bit more about Sokin and, and actually your connection to the world of football. Yeah, so uh, Sokin is a new global payments uh, provider. And I think what makes us unique is our global footprint, so the scale um, and our ability to offer sort of 38 currencies. So you can basically do a global transfer uh, through our app um, or desktop version anywhere in the world. We have both a B2B and a B2C version. And what we want to do is just really make um, money transfers and global payments really easy, safe, secure, and accessible for anybody who wants to use it and to really create a system that makes global payments super simple. 
Uh, the other part that's really interesting and unique is we've set up a sort of subscription-based model like Netflix and Spotify. Uh, so you pay a flat monthly fee and you can do as many global transfers and payments as you want. Um, so it, it makes it super straightforward and cost-effective, particularly for people who are sending uh, money or uh, to loved ones overseas or want to do transfers really quickly into many different currencies. Very cool. And I think there's a, a connection with uh, from an investor of yours with football as well, isn't there? So there's a, you've got connections with football through and through. We do. So actually, our kind of story into how we started to work more with uh, in the world of football really came through our early stage investor and um, very good friend, Rio Ferdinand, who uh, is just a phenomenal person. And he had you know met our founder, and CEO, uh, when we were, you know, still very early stages and, you know, they really had a meeting of minds and I think they really believed, um, he really believed in kind of the vision and the ethos and the fact that, you know, creating global payments and making it accessible for anyone, especially people who really need it, who are kind of, you know, migrants or people who are like, you know, new into the country and really the ones who need to send money to loved ones back home. And so I think Rio really understood that. And then he, he kind of opened up a lot of the world of football to soak in and sort of said, hey, this is a global sport, you're a global company. This is a lot of synergy here. It makes a lot of sense for you guys to think about uh, where that partnership or those relationships could go and how there could be uh, a joint strategic relationship uh, moving forward with a lot of these clubs. So that's kind of how it came started uh, in the in the early days. Fantastic. Well, look forward to unpacking that a little bit more as we go through, but thank you very much for joining us. Uh, next up and making a very welcome return to uh, to the show, Pet Barista. How are you doing, Pet? Like, mate, it's been a long time and like things have uh, have changed quite uh, quite a bit, but now head of crypto media at Copa90 and host of, I mean, you know, Strange to a Podcast, you've got the State of Play podcast yourself. So welcome back to the show, my friend. How are you doing? Thank you very much for the warm introduction. I think the last episode I was on was episode 220 with Ryan Garner about GDPR. So that was probably a while ago on Fintech Insider, right? It is, yeah. We've come a long way since then. But tell us a little bit more about your your role. Um, head of crypto media at Copa90, what does that entail? Uh, well, I mean, look, like the, the worlds of crypto and football, uh, crypto and sports have never been that far apart, but crypto and football, those two worlds have collided at a rate of noughts over the last, like, 12 to 18 months and copper have a huge array of amazing clients you know uh, they've had award-winning campaigns with Budweiser and Pepsi and so on and so forth they work with some of the biggest clubs and biggest leagues and biggest associations in football in the world suddenly a lot of these clients are starting to wonder can we do anything with NFTs what can we do with fan tokens etc etc um, and then you also have uh, kind of the crypto side of things as well so crypto companies exchanges, um, whatever crypto-related businesses might be interested in activating these football audiences as well, which obviously Copper and Extremely good and see it doing so through their kind of fan network and are an amazing our amazing ability to make really great content and just generally have really great reach. And then there's also kind of the football native crypto entities or crypto native football entities, as I like to call them. So we've already seen resounding successes with SoRare and Socios doing a lot of interesting things. There's also Sports Icon and a load of other of these Greenfield propositions that are like kind of launching um, now and will be kind of, I think, 
industry leaders might be a bit strong but they'll be kind of doing so rare type trajectories over the next 12 to 18 months so um speaking to lots of interesting people and doing some interesting things very very cool super hot area loads of things happening and like you say it doesn't feel like it doesn't feel like there's a day that goes by that simon taylor's not getting excited in the office about something that's happening in that uh, <laughs> overlapping space which is good but uh, great to have you back on the show again uh, and last but by no means least making up our panel it's a welcome return from alexander freen who is the chief corporate affairs officer at starling bank uh alexandra how's it going uh, good to get you back uh, really good, David. Thanks for having me. Uh, pleasure to be back, as always. Um, we'll delve into this a little bit more later, but I mean, Starling's no stranger to football as well. You guys have recently announced uh, as official banking sponsor for the Women's Euro 2022. Um, give us a little bit more insight into into that. I mean, I, I know uh, Anne's a, a big uh, supporter of, uh, of everything that's happening in, in you know, female representation more and more and more. And that feels like such a great natural overlap with what you guys do. Absolutely. I mean, this is a match made in heaven. It took us like a nanosecond to decide to do this uh, when we were approached um, that the people handling the sponsorship knew, knew we were interested in some kind of sports uh a sporting partnership, and this this worked really, really well for us. As you say, we're a passionate supporter of uh, uh, gender equality, women's rights, and and we're a disruptor. And, and women's football, uh, the women's game is still disrupting football. Um, we felt we could actually make a difference as a small brand ourselves um, in this area. So we are super excited. As, and as I say, it was so just a complete no-brainer for us. Very cool. Well, we'll get into that a little bit more in a second. But maybe to start us off, actually, you know, one of the things that we want to uh, kick off with, uh, there's going to be football puns all the way through this, guys, I do apologise, uh, is is sponsorship. And, and actually, I mean, in this day and age, the, the corporate sponsor on the, the front of the shirt has, has become nearly as important to the to the clubs as the the names that are on the back of it in terms of what it means and what that represents and and everything really with that. So maybe if we start with, well, how football and fintech's relationship has really blossomed through those sponsorships. I mean, Viv, do you want to uh, get us going with that? I mean, can you give us a bit of a rundown on the official sponsorships that Sokin have, have kind of struck up? Because there's quite a few there, isn't there? Yeah, so we have um, four football clubs. Um, so we um, have uh, three you know, so three sort of UK based clubs, um, Fulham, Everton and Arsenal. Uh, and we have AS Monaco, which is our European, uh, football club. And, um, not to ever let the Americans off the hook. Uh, we also have recently signed the Miami Dolphins, which is obviously American football. So we are now uh, a proud sponsor of an NFL club. Uh, so it's, uh, we're football all the way. And so we are covering, uh, you know, the love of, love of the, that sport in every incarnation. And, you know, again, it sort of matches really well with kind of our global ambitions. So we're, we're, you know, we're kind of, um, all in with our, our football, uh, partnerships. Yeah. I mean, what was the, the sort of driver for that? I mean, why is, why is football been such a, uh, a big part of that, that market mix for you guys? I think it's a lot to do with, uh, the fact that it's, it's a sport for everybody. It's so loved. It's the world's biggest global sport, um, in terms of viewership. So like something like 3 billion people, uh, watch football regularly. And, you know, obviously the Premier League is enormous and, it's it's also something where people are just inherently passionate about it and it brings people together and it's a really equalizing sport so you can be from you know the favelas in brazil and become an incredible sports star all the way through to you know um you know someone who's playing uh 
football in Liverpool. So I think, you know, we loved the values that football imbues in many ways and the, you know, the openness and accessibility that it's for everyone. It's the people's sport and, you know, Sokin's kind of the people's card. And I think when we set out with a global ambition, we also wanted to align it with something that we knew that people could understand really quickly and, you know, rally around and become part of. So we see it as a really kind of powerful entry point, but it also speaks to a lot of the audience that we, we are, you know, who are our consumer base, which is our, our migrants. And, you know, they, they follow and love football and it's such an enormous, fan base, uh, you know, whether we're talking about the Premier League or the European football clubs or, you know, even soccer clubs uh, in other parts of the world. So I think that we just felt that there was such a good fit on so many levels. Um, and it's it's an exciting sport. You know, there's always this is ongoing soap opera and there's always lots happening there. Absolutely. And, and talk us a little bit about how the how does that function? You know, I mean, I imagine it goes a little bit beyond just uh, a name on a shirt, but actually uh, I know through experience of, you know, Lotus and Norwich's uh, tie-in, there's a, a much sort of deeper relationship that actually you people have with those uh, those organizations. So does it go beyond just the, the shirts? Absolutely. So I think what we've really uh, leaned into and, and um, loved about our, you know, multi-year partnerships uh, with these clubs that we've, cho- you know, chosen to work with are the fact that they are also um, advocates and people who are clients of ours. So they use, you know, the Sokin Enterprise uh, offering and, you know, they, they, they've been brilliant case studies for our business because if you think about sort of the transfer window, transfer costs with players. It sits, you know, hand in hand with what we do as a business and global payments and FX transfers and being able to handle volumes of that size, plus being able to provide, you know, a secure, uh, easy, fast service that competes with, um, you know, takes away a lot of the legacy issues that existed with other providers such as banks, et cetera, and the enormous amount of transparency and cost savings that we can provide uh, to the football clubs. So I think that that's also been um, a really important part of how we've made these strategic partnerships work really well, because I think we also want to, we don't want to just sponsor them um, and have our brand name out there. We want to actually be able to provide value to the clubs, but also the fans with the service and an offering that we can provide that we genuinely believe is going to help people and save money. Fantastic. That's really good. I mean, Alexandra, coming to, coming to you, and as I mean, obviously, as we, we talked about a little bit with the the Women's Euro 2022, I mean, what role do you play in that with those types of partnerships? You know, we just talked a little bit about sponsorship goes beyond just sort of your name on a thing. But I mean, what role really in the tournament does the, the banking partner actually play? Um, I, I've got a bit of experience this when I was at Lloyd's Banking Group we sponsored the Olympics and it was much more than just you know Lloyd's have got their logos everywhere it was a much more engaged sort of thing with it so I imagine you guys have got lots of uh, thoughts on on what that could be um absolutely and um uh you know, a banking part doesn't mean we go handing out bank accounts to uh, all the players. Um, although I believe uh, some of them have got Starling bank accounts. It, it is, I mean, Vivian said uh, made a lot of good points about, um, uh, you know, the, the grassroots and the community nature of football. For us, women's football is that, um, uh, you know, times 10 because it's, it's still, um, in the process of raising its profile and, uh, 
get, getting its 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 voice heard. Although we have seen massive, massive increase in popularity of, of the women's game, but it is it's all those other opportunities that you get um, uh, for content generation, engagement, uh, and so forth. If you look at um, the England squad, um, we know that quite a few of the players are actually entrepreneurs in their own right, and we're a, we're a bank for small business bank accounts. So um, Jill Scott, who plays for Man City, she's she's got her own coffee business. Uh, Rachel Daly, who plays for plays in the States actually for Houston Dash, and Millie Bright, who's who's a defender for Chelsea. They've got a clothing line called Daily Brightness. So um, there's lots of um, uh, I hate the word synergies, um, but whatever the non-annoying word for synergies is, there's a lot of those between Starling and this squad. Um, uh, a lot of these uh, women. Uh, it's not that long since they had to hold a, a, a day job to support themselves because this is not, um, you know, they, they don't have the kind of money behind them that men's football has. So um, they are disruptors, they are entrepreneurs, they are strong women that connect uh, very powerfully with their community. So we, we, we hope that there's a, there's a whole uh, amount of content and engagement uh, out there. Fantastic. And that that is a really interesting point, that transition between the sort of business world and the sports world is, you know, that overlap is getting um, more significant and more significant as, uh, you know, careers can be ended any second, can't they? And a lot of all, a lot of people are being very smart about actually how they sort of hedge those bets in terms of, uh, you know, what people really do with these things. But I mean, I, I guess... Um, you know, wider than 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 just the the twenty twenty two. I mean, you guys did. Uh, you were bank of uh, Team GB for Tokyo twenty twenty as well. So you you sort of you know what you're getting into. You've done this before, right? Well, we, in in the end, our Tokyo sponsorship didn't happen because um, because the games were cancelled in twenty twenty. So that that was um, that's why we're so excited to be doing the Euros because it's it, it's our chance to really sort of make up for for lost time uh, that, that we. We, we missed out there. I, th- I think the the point on like sponsorships being deeper than just name on the shirt is really important, right? And I think from a you know copper ninety perspective, a lot of the partners that we work with or help facilitate work with X football league and X club and you know X big brand. I think is really imperative now for those relationships to go beyond simply you know your logo on. A, bit of social media or content it has to be something deeper than that more meaningful than that brands have definitely pivoted over the last three or four years to, to really align their values to everything that goes out from like pretty much all their all their channels and it's super important that you know that the content you curate and create and the partnerships that you make all align to the values that you have as a business because um you know customers care more than just about features now they care about like how a business conducts themselves how they do things and and that goes into you know the, the partners they have as well do you, do you think that's even more with a football team pet i mean like you say this is um you know for for some this is this is not just it's not just a game you know like this is their <laughs> this is their club so actually what their club represents and the brands that they affiliate with i mean again norwich is an example you know there was a massive fallout for the brand that was going to sponsor norwich that there was a you know people were really upset about it and not i'll be honest people in norfolk don't usually get that much upset, upset about anything but but they got very upset about that and then it changed to to lotus kind of overnight right so do you, do you think when somebody loves something so much the what it does as a brand and who it represents is is even more important yeah i think like since the inception of the premier league in the uk especially 
football has turned into a business, right? Let's 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 not get that twisted. Um, and I think it reached its peak when the European Super League tried to come along, and we had this kind of big big inflection point I think where fans were like this is taking it a bit too far and we're all going to stand up for ourselves as football fans and say this is wrong um and I think that football clubs being businesses is maybe something I don't particularly agree with but if they are going to be businesses then they need to be businesses that they that invest into the in grassroots football they invest in making football a more inclusive sport they invest in the communities that surround those football clubs as well and I I do think that yeah football fans are really good at uh, they're basically hypersensitive to authenticity is like the way I put it I think there's a synergy there between kind of uh, especially people in like crypto or the NFT space and football fans one of the big overlap I've seen is like they are not very easily kind of tricked or hoodwinked into thinking something is a good idea um, when it maybe isn't so we've seen a lot of fallout from you know, the Arsenal Supporters Trust and the West Ham Supporters Trust when, uh, you know, the European Super League and the Socios potential partnership happened for, for West Ham, both respectively. So fans have a big voice and I think football clubs have a big responsibility in ensuring that the partnerships they make uh, are with companies that are, again, we're using that annoying word that we can't stray away from syn- synergetic with the values of the fans, but also the football club. Um, and I think just to just to hop on to what Alexandra was talking about in terms of women's football, I think on top of it being a, a growing market, I think it's a massive opportunity for a lot of brands right now because um, year on year, women's football is growing massively. And although that isn't yet reflected in filling up stadiums, for example, or maybe even commercially, I think you know, this is the time to be in a position where your strategic partnerships are leading towards that hockey stick growth. And, you know, the the filling up of stadiums will come in like two or three or four years um, as the brand of, of women's football, especially in the UK, grows a lot more. Mm. Yeah. And it's not just the, as you say, it's not just the people in the stadium, but the the coverage of it, both from, you know, major uh, television uh, broadcast to uh, just mainstream the the engagement with it. It's It feels like it's on a, a real upward trajectory, as you say, for, uh, for everybody's consumption, which is great. All right. On that note, we're going to have to take a little bit of a break and we'll be back with you in two seconds. If you've been in payments for any length of time, you've seen the number of payment solutions explode. That's great for consumers, but incredibly complex for merchants and developers. That's where Primer comes in. Primer is the world's first automation platform for payments. With Primer, merchants and developers have all the underlying infrastructure and Lego blocks they need to build the best buying experiences for their customers. Learn more and book a demo at primer.io. Hey folks, I'm David Breer, CEO here at 11FS. I'll be speaking at SASA's Innovation Summit on the 9th of November, where I'll be delivering an exclusive keynote on how banking can unlock innovation in the banking battlefield. The Innovation Summit is your opportunity to be inspired, raise questions and discuss solutions with select banking industry peers and experts on the most pressing issues for you as a leader and decision maker in the industry. This is an exclusive live event aimed at senior executives. The format is intimate and you won't be able to catch this one on demand. So for your chance to address your strategic challenges, unlock the future of your business and make connections, join me at the Innovation Summit hosted by SAS. See you there. 
Welcome back to this special Fintech Insider Insights. Uh, we're looking at the relationship between football and fintech. And, and actually, I mean, one of the places that we've seen this really explode is in the, the cryptocurrency and more more broadly, the, the crypto space of it. So delving a little bit more into that, the, the rise and the rise of, of the relationship between those. I mean, Pat, we probably should come to you first on, on this one, given, I mean, this is what you guys are, are really looking at. And I know a big part of your role is, is figuring out, well, how does this work and where are the overlaps? Where are the relationships? So, I mean, when did you first start noticing this change though? Because because it, it, it seems like quite a meteoric rise, but there's always a, a slow buildup for it, isn't there? Yeah, I think it's happened really quickly. So I think it started with sponsorship, like surface level, as we were discussing before the break, like name on shirt type sponsorships. But a lot of these big crypto exchanges in particular do have another idea in mind and I'll, I'll kind of explain what I mean by that and I'm not talking cynically at all this is like more of a how I just view it from a strategic standpoint for them it's like they get their foot into the door and it means that if x club ever wants to do an nft drop or they want to create their own token which I think socios have done a lot of that or do anything else to do with it in the crypto space they now have like someone who's their mate that they'll go to automatically right so um we've seen this with like binance and crypto.com like going on a, on a tear in terms of uh sponsoring football teams uh, i'm sure we'll see ftx considering they spent uh i think it's six million dollars sponsoring the super bowl um vivian i mean you, you could correct me if that was wrong but i thought that was an insane amount of money um and it just means like these very cash rich companies who also understand that um their sponsorship is beyond the name on shirt. It becomes a strategic thing whereby um, when a football club wants to do something in the space, they already have someone that they have like a relationship with. Um, so I think it started with um, the sponsorship side of things. I think um, So Rare, for example, specifically um, have done something really incredible in terms of the game side of football, in terms of engaging football fans. You have this amazing ecosystem where um, so rare are selling these digital cards that you can then play fantasy games with. And you also have like Rio Ferdinand is an investor, of course, um, Viv will know. But you have this interesting thing where like Timo Werner, who plays up front for Chelsea, is playing this game and is like bidding against Pet to buy this card so that he can then play it in, in a game with other football fans and also football players. So I think football is in an interesting place because it touches all these aspects where crypto is kind of disrupting. So if we talk about kind of sponsorships or fancy football, gaming, um, communities, et cetera, et cetera, uh, maybe even ticketing in the future as well, especially if like NFTs ever make a, a venture into that space, um, you suddenly have a situation where football is at the center or the centrifugal point of kind of a, a really amazing nascent space, which is disrupting all the bits around it, if that makes sense. And therefore as a, as a byproduct mm. football as well. Yeah, I mean, the sort of digital environment for for these things, you know, whether it's NFTs or tokens or whatever, there's there's so much opportunity in that space. I mean, obviously not football, but we've seen NFTs take off in a, a crazy way in, you know, the NBA and the NFL and different places. I mean, do you think we're going to start seeing that within the things, the constructs of the Premier League? I mean, can you start buying that, you know, banger from Henri from like 1994 to as an <laughs> NFT soon? Or is, do you think that just won't quite have the same sort of resonance in the UK market? 
so I think it will have the same resonance. And we have to also remember, it's not necessarily just the UK market, it's the global market, right? So if you're a big Dutch Arsenal fan and you want to buy the uh, Dennis Bergkamp goal against Newcastle as a moment, that's probably going to be really appealing to you. I think the Premier League is... So the way I see it is that the Premier League is really, really rich and it doesn't necessarily need a lot of these partnerships from a commercial standpoint. It's going to create commercial partnerships that, you know, uh, of course are beneficial for them from a monetary standpoint, but that also help engage their fans, build their brand, And as we were mentioning before the break, like align to all the, the values that we talked about in terms of, you know, grassroots community, et cetera. So they're, they're kind of in no rush um, compared to other leagues who have been really hurt by COVID massively. So La Liga, for example, have gone all into NFTs, right? They have uh, got a multi-year partner with a uh, partnership with Sora. They've got a partnership with Dapper Labs to do their moments. Um, they've got a partnership with Socios and so do most La Liga clubs. And, you know, the cynic would say, well, they've lost a crap ton of money over the last 18 months because of COVID. But there is the also, also the other side of things like when things break down, you lose people within organizations and you lose money. It does also force companies to become creative. And I think that La Liga, for example, um, whereby, you know, Gerard Piquet, who's got his hands in a lot of pies in terms of, um, you know, he's an early investor in Sora. He's got a uh, another couple of crypto adjacent businesses that I think he's involved in. I think there's been certain people who have pushed La Liga specifically to go in that direction. And I think it's worked out really well so far, right? They've um, sold a, a load of cards on Sora. I think the moments are going to come with Dapper Labs, who are the most reputable name in the space from a from a moment standpoint. Um, and then they've also got uh, the fan token partnership with Socios as well. So they've kind of hit every aspect of the the crypto space i suppose when it comes to football and i think they're at the moment market leaders first out of necessity but i think secondly out of um they've just been the most the, the, the quickest to move and the most agile mm. i mean it's interesting that there's the, the crypto space i mean even uh you know if, if reports are right Messi's sign on at psg there was a big chunk of that that was cryptocurrency right yeah yeah i mean i i, I think that is again, more marketing than like, you know, that is needed or Messi wanted that. Um, I think it's probably clear to most people that that was the case. Um, but I think, yeah, it's it's pretty interesting the way that um, that has become part of the mainstream, if that makes sense. Whether we think it's a marketing thing or not, like we're speaking about it, right? And we're speaking about Messi handing, like being paid partially in, in, in fan tokens, which is a really interesting thing, right? Is that, I mean, Viv, like DLT, cryptocurrency, it's getting more and more mainstream. Is this just the merging of, I mean, football is so big. Football is so mainstream. Is it? Is it just this is the way it goes in terms of actually the merging of those those two industries? I think so. I think it's, you know, I think it's sort of inevitable that, you know, there will be more crossover and there's definitely going to be more money coming from these crypto companies investing whether it's sponsorship or seeing how they can, you know, they can partner or provide their services, whether it's, you know, through, you know, how players get paid, et cetera. So I, I definitely see there's going to be more of that coming. And it's also what's interesting and hot and trendy right now. And people who are into sports are also into what's happening around them in the world and very much, you know, see, you know, see their kind of passion of the sport 
uh, crossing over with, you know, interesting ways that the world is evolving and moving forward. And I think technology and fintech is such a huge part of that. Um, so it's, it's sort of inevitable because you know, these companies are, you know, as, as Pat said quite rightly, you know, cash rich and, you know, out there and there's a huge amount of PR attention on them. And, you know, they've got to put their money somewhere. And, you know, they also want to get eyeballs and they want to get, awareness. And I think, you know, sports and sponsorship is a really, really powerful way of doing that, particularly if you're trying to get some credibility in the marketplace. You know, so if you've got the dark side of crypto or things that people don't understand, it's also an incredible platform to educate people. So I do see there's going to be more crossover and merging happening. Yeah. Yeah. I think we've, we've seen a couple of really bad examples of that as well in terms of the educational side. I think I saw Southampton uh, enter into some partnership with uh, some sort of um, crypto educational platform or whatever. Turns out it was like the shell organization of like this other crypto entity or blah, blah, blah. So what I would say is that whilst a lot of clubs are looking at this space in terms of like, how can we partner? How can we collaborate? They also need to be really careful. It goes back to the, the point that we were talking about before in terms of football fans being hypersensitive to authenticity. They need to be really certain that these are the right partners for them for all the all the reasons we've already talked about. So I guess maybe, you know, turning slightly to the future. I mean, we've talked a little bit about where we are now, but maybe looking a little bit ahead in terms of that sort of relationship between between fintech and football. I mean, Alex, you, you talked a little bit about, well, you know, players are, you know, we were talking here about cash rich companies, but I mean, being a footballer seems like quite a profitable thing to be doing, really, based on uh, just based on the amount of uh, amazing cars that they have when they're turning up to the ground, if nothing else. But uh, I mean, do do you think the overlap there between fintech and football will get more and more significant? Uh, I mean, both in the sense of you know Starling's kind of presence as a uh, you know, uh, you, you, you know, you described yourself earlier on as a challenger, but but the the customer base that you guys have got and the the scale that you will continue to to uh, exude, you know, there's going to be a, a time where you're you're no longer a challenger, but you're you're one of the the bigger banks. So, I mean, do you think again this is the the sort of push between? you know, mainstream businesses, mainstream industries and challenges coming into it to, to shake it up. And and do you think the the other way of that, I mean, your point around banking from an SME perspective, uh, some of those uh, entrepreneurs who sort of move on to those second careers, I mean, it, it just feels like such a natural fit, doesn't it? It does. But we, there's a big, big chunk missing from this conversation that we're having. And that is grassroots football clubs. The little football clubs where, where they're amateur, they play on a Saturday or Sunday. And that is a very, very powerful part of uh, culture. We're doing some work with uh, a, an Irish company called Mo Shopper, which is chaired by footballer Niall Crin. Um, but what, what they're trying to do is they're going to small grassroots clubs who need to support themselves financially and who don't have regular income. They're creating e-commerce platforms for these clubs. So uh, if you want to buy some boots or a Nike shirt or something, rather than buy it on Amazon, you buy it on their platform, your whatever it is, Tooting FC platform, and the clubs get a revenue stream from that. And we're working with Moshopper to provide the um, the payment rails and everything underneath that. They're, they're, they're trialing in Wales, first of all. So I think there are lots of opportunities for fintech to um, have an influence at the grassroots level as well, because um, there is a lot of money in football, and then it stops 
um, and, and everyone else falls off the cliff. So let's, let's not forget that side of the game. But going back to your premise of, um, you know, clubs can do all these. I was just amazed listening to what Pet was saying because I didn't have uh, knowledge of all of those things. But clubs and their fans also need old-fashioned banking and payments. You know, they're ticketing, they're selling stuff at their stadiums. Um, what if a club wanted to do its own bank account or its own payments card? You know, banking as a service um, can and embedded finance are just perfect partners for clubs that, that want to sort of provide their fans with branded financial services or um, make the whole process smoother so you're getting into the stadium with the same card, you're paying for your stuff in the stadium with the same card. You know, you could, you, the, the opportunities are huge um, and that's great. But let's not forget the grassroots because um, – I think there's lots of partnerships there that could could really help um, both sides, fintech and uh, the grassroots clubs. I just want to piggyback on that because, like, it is so important to realise that pretty much no football clubs in the UK make money apart from the Premier League clubs, and grassroots is really underfunded. It's really expensive to become a coach or a referee in in, in the UK. Um, there isn't enough opportunities afforded to make football more inclusive, whether you have like accessibility issues or you're not a, a white man. Um, so I think there are like lots of issues that fintech or, you know, financial services or innovation in crypto can, can help with. I think one of the really interesting things that I've been thinking about is kind of to, to Alexandra's point, there are so many data points that interact with football and it's crying out for some sort of ecosystem play whereby, um, you know, if I'm an Arsenal season ticket holder and I also go to X pub and Y restaurant and I also use Uber, there must be some sort of aggregational play there whereby those vendors can all speak to each other and ensure that football fans have like a really good experience for, you know, whether they go to the pub or travel to games or back from games, etc. There is something that needs to be done to, to bring all those things together because at the end of the day, like I live 15 minutes from the Emirates Stadium and literally every restaurant is packed full uh, pre-game. Every pub is packed full pre-game and all those data points can be really important. And if they're used in like a mature and responsible way, I think a lot of these like data or uh, fintech companies can actually provide some amazing features or services for football fans um, that can really enhance their experience on game days and out of game days or ensure that, you know, a portion of their pint is going to like grassroots football, etc. I think there's, yeah, to Alexandra's point, like so much opportunity there. Pat, I don't want to say that you're stealing some some of our good ideas, but there's definitely, um, I without revealing too many things. Um, Sounds like know, we need to have a few a few phone calls after. Yeah, you definitely touched upon a few areas that we are absolutely <laughs> looking into and exploring and trying to, you know, build out some more of those ecosystems that you you know parts of those ecosystems that you mentioned, but also really trying to understand, you know, how we can provide um, more value and a better experience to the fans and, you know, this, the segments that we can better understand through the clubs and the partnerships that we have, because they obviously have huge amounts of data on their fans and, you know, the season ticket holder versus like people who buy occasionally, what are they buying, merchandise, et cetera. But also, as you said, you know, the journey to and from the stadium, 
you know, how are they spending their money, you know, what's interesting to them, et cetera. So there's so much around that where we can, if we've got the right data and we can start mapping some of that out and really understanding what's valuable to people, we can provide better services and better value. So exactly to your point, you know, we're working uh, very closely now with uh, all of our club partnerships and their CSR programs and their grassroots community programs, because they all have the, and it's a question of what's the best way to, you know, aggregate data, these funds, and then, you know, distribute them. You know, what are the programs that we want to be, you know, uh, funding, uh, whether it's scholarships, whether it's, you know, financial inclusion or education programs, whether it's just, you know, helping people get more kit or doing things at a very, you know, grassroots community level. So there's so many factors around that, that I think as a business, we've already really started to do and look into, because I think that was also part of the value set that I mentioned earlier, that was so important to why I think these clubs uh, wanted to work with a fintech such as Sokin, because we, so much of what we're rooted in is about trying to help, uh, you know, communities grow and be better. Because the very, you know, the very understanding is that actually the, the, the system as it was, was set up to shut people out, particularly payments and banking, you know, and you think about how many people are unbanked or if you're a new migrant, it's very hard to get, you know, your banking credentials set up. It's very hard to start transferring money back home quickly if you need to. And, you know, we sort of saw that this is a problem that still needs addressing and to be solved. And I think there's a lot of, um, people who are football fans and, you know, who are engaged in the sport where that type of struggle is real and, you know, how we can use the love of the sport to help work, to solve some of those things in a real way, I think is really important to us as a business. Mm. Is that, is that, do, do you think potentially like the biggest overlap then? Because actually, I mean, the, the, the community words that you use there, I mean, I think football teams, you know, are very, uh, aware that it is a community-driven thing. Without the fans, they wouldn't be anything. They wouldn't, if nobody cared, there wouldn't, you know, be the fury around football. And I think this is what fintechs are brilliant at doing as well. You know, like you know, Alex, like Starling Bank, like you've built it. You've built Starling off the back of really caring about customers and caring about what customers need. So, is this where the Venn diagram is? It's not two circles; it's a circle. It's like understand customers, bring things, you bring value to the community. And that works really effectively every time, doesn't it? Yeah. Cause I think otherwise there's no place for you, like even as a sponsor, so you can pay for sponsorship, right? And there's, there is some inherent value in that, but actually I think this goes back to a lot of what we were discussing in the first half of the, uh, the session was really around like, where is the value in it and why do people do it? And it has to be around, um, the fact that actually you're right, it's becoming a singular circle and these things are starting to merge and we have to be able to provide more because uh, being just a name on a shirt isn't enough. And, you know, people expect more. I also think like customers and consumers are way savvier now and, you know, technology has absolutely enabled that. And you can be, you know, anywhere very quickly. You can send things very quickly. You can order things very quickly. So the expectations are rapid and high. And so you've got to be pretty exceptional to even like get in, get in, get a seat at the table, I think these days. And so it has to be about the customer. It has to be about a better experience and what we can do. And it has to be about real values that make a difference. And and I think generally the best fintechs are the ones who solve very like fundamental problems in the simplest ways. Mm. I think like 
to kind of summarize my thoughts before when I went on a, a, a long rant and like what Alexandra was, what I piggybacked on Alexandra point and what Viv said, I think the opportunity at large here is like the repackaging of the football economy to some extent. And it's going to be done through collaborations and partnerships and, and, and deals or partnerships that are beyond a simple sponsor like pay and sponsor as, as Viv was saying um and, and those are the kind of ideas like I guess we're working at a couple on is like what does it look like in terms of where do football fans spend all their money and time what do they most care about and how does that get repackaged in a way that um makes their kind of fan engagement and experience a, a lot better and empowers fans and empowers the communities that they're in and, and, and therefore in, empowers a lot of the things that they care about, aka grassroots and aka being able to, to go to Sunderland away for like not that expensive a ticket, but also by not harming the environment. Like how do all those things work together and who are the kind of vendors and the partners that need to be part of that ecosystem to make all of that work? And I think the one thing that, you know, we haven't talked about is just the, the scale that FinTech provides. So if you think about international and to your point about grassroots you can have grassroots when you have uh you know a real global proposition or fintechs that allow you to scale and have reach that can take you know that can really exponentially increase what you mean by grassroots and i think that's the other thing that's incredibly unique about football is that it's everywhere and it's genuinely you know a, a global sport and it is something that is very simple for people to um, access and it, it gives you that international stretch, you know, so to speak, that perhaps we don't always think about because we sort of center on like things like the Premier League or whatever. But actually you think about the Premier League, it's it's a global league, essentially, even though the teams are mostly <laughs> mostly here. Um, uh, that's that's more, you know, a geographical, uh, you know, imperative than it is the fact that actually you've got fans everywhere. And it's so interesting with Arsenal, you know, Pet, you're an Arsenal fan, you know, huge <laughs> amounts of uh, people in, you know, Africa, massive Arsenal fans, you know, Everton, Asia, tons of Asian fans, you know. So it's, you know, I think it's the, the fintech side, I think, has a lot of power uh, in the ability to spread and scale what we mean by kind of value and grassroots and, you know, improvements uh, with with customers and with fans. Definitely agree. Well, I love fintech, you know, big fan of it. Love football, like big fan of it. Those overlaps getting even more overlapped is is good. I think we can all agree though, Norwich are definitely getting relegated, aren't they? So, uh, and uh, if we if we leave <laughs> yeah, it on that 100%. note, then uh, then I think we've all learned something. Fat, sadly, nice this is the downer to end the show. And, with uh, the... <laughs> it is downer, isn't it? Sorry about that one, Delia. If you're listening, I do apologise. Uh, that unfortunately though is the final whistle on today's show. Thank you so much for joining us. Where can people learn a little bit more about you and your company? Viv, starting with you. Oh, please come download the app. Absolutely. We're available on um, the Apple Store and Google Play and come to Sokin.com and you can get tons of information. We, we are rolling out um, our cards uh, all across Europe and we're also having a super fun cashback incentive as well for December, just in time for Christmas. So absolutely hit us up. Um, we'd love to, ha you know, love to have more people downloading and using the app and spreading the good word. Uh, so yeah, thank you so much for having me, uh, David, and and great to be part of this with Pet and Alexandra as well. No worries, Pet. Where can people learn a little bit more about you? Uh, you can find me on LinkedIn, or you can follow me on Twitter at Pet Berisha. So P E T B E R I C H A, and uh, you can find Copper Ninety pretty much everywhere if you search that into Google. 
Fantastic. Alessandra, where can people learn a little bit more? Um, uh, all the usual places, starlingbank.com. Uh, I'm on Twitter at Freeney. And um, you'll also find Starling Bank right now. Um, uh, we're sponsoring a fantastic YouTube series about the environment um, uh, hosted by Jack Harris. It's called The Seat at the Table. Google it. It's fantastic. It's just heartwarming. Very, very cool. I'll go and look at that after the show. Uh, as for me, uh, I mean, you can find me lurking on LinkedIn or just down Carroll Road if you want to continue the football things going on there. So uh, thank you so much for listening, everybody. If you like what you've heard, subscribe to this podcast. Do not forget to leave us a review. It super duper helps other people to find the show. As always, if you want to join the conversation, you can find us on pretty much every social media channel at this stage. Just search for 11FS or Fintech Insider or email us on podcast at 11FS.com. Thank you very much for listening, everybody. Goodbye.